And I'm especially excited about the message uh, for right now because I was spending time with the Lord um, a couple weeks ago. I was planning on sharing a different message uh, for this session. And I was reading in the Word uh, in the Old Testament. I was reading in Daniel and Esther about the Israelites being in exile and and um, being the minority culture and you know what's it like living in Babylon and, and contending for the kingdom. <clears throat> and the Lord... I mean, he just downloaded uh, some stuff that initially I thought was just for me, and then I sensed the Lord saying, this is what you're supposed to share for the final session at the Minnesota uh, district. And so uh, it slayed me, and I'm still, I'm not living this out completely, so I'm still in the process of being slayed, but um, I hope it has the same effect on you in a, in a good way. Um, but if not, then I benefit, and um, you can go home and <laughs> enjoy other things, I guess, so... Lord, I do pray that <clears throat> you would come and um, you would just release your revelation through me, that I would just be a vessel. And Lord, that I pray you would slay us with the sword of your spirit, Lord, so that we would be laid down lovers who are willing to contend for your kingdom no matter what the cost. In the face of cancel culture and all of that, Lord, I just, I pray you would embolden and empower your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna address cancel culture, defying cancel culture, and affirming biblical sexuality, which we're in the thick of it right now. And there are three lies that are being perpetuated in our culture regarding biblical sexuality. And the first one is that people are born gay or transgender and they cannot change. Change is absolutely impossible. <clears throat> the second one is that affirming biblical sexuality equates to hating LGBT people. And then the third one is Christians who affirm biblical sexuality must be canceled because you are the KKK. That's, I mean, that's where we've arrived in our culture today, have we not? And I want you to know all three of those are lies, absolute lies. And yet what's happening now is the church is beginning to bow her knee to these lies. And this is infiltrating our thinking and we're, we're not responding as God's people. What I wanna do is first address these lies, replace them with truth, and then share uh, a biblical uh, explanation of how we need to respond in the midst of cancel culture. So first, let's look at the first lie that people are born gay and can't change. Some of you who were in the elective yesterday heard me summarize some of my dissertation research. I finished my PhD at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary last year, and my dissertation research was on 30 case studies of 30 men and women that were once same-sex attracted and have experienced transformation. I mean full transformation. They're not white-knuckling it, trying not to act on, the, on their desires. Some have gone on to marry and have kids and are just living in the fullness of who God created them to be. And so my research was investigating their lives and asking what is it that led to transformation in your life and how can we take what has happened in your life and extract principles to be able to train pastors and leaders how to help other people that are struggling with these issues. Um, we hope to, to summarize all of these things in a, in a book that would come out maybe in the next, you know, about a year from now or a year and a half. Um, but in, until then, let me just summarize briefly some of the research. I had to investigate scientific studies and address, you know, the, the presumption that people are born that way and can't change 
how do you explain that with the people in my study that have changed? But I looked at hundreds of scientific studies and read all the latest research that's out there, contending that you're born gay or you're born trans and you cannot change. And you know, for 30 years, they've been trying to find a gay gene to insist you're absolutely born that way, which would take the argument out of the moral realm and into the civil rights realm. Because if you're born gay and it's part of your DNA, then we can't discriminate against you for the same reason we can't discriminate against people for their skin color or their race. And in 30 years, they've not been able to find a gay gene. And in fact, the strongest argument for a gay gene would be two identical twins whose DNA is identical. So that if one twin is gay and it's entirely genetic and hardwired into your DNA, what percentage of the time would the other twin also be gay? 100%, right? The latest research out there shows that less than 10% of the time when one twin is gay, the other identical twin is also gay. What the research is showing is that environmental factors and things are influencing people. It's not hardwired into your genetics and your DNA. In fact, now we have these things called genome-wide association studies where we can look at millions of genes all at once with technology to see if there's any correlation between a certain gene type and homosexual desires. They have not found one. The latest study was half a million people where they studied literally millions upon millions of DNA uh, sequences and they could not find any hard and fast evidence that it is genetic and hardwired into you. You are not born that way. The other thing that they've said is, well, maybe there's a structure in your brain that the hypothalamus of gay men is smaller than those of straight men. That has never stood up under scrutiny. Other people couldn't replicate that research. In fact, what we know now is something called neuroplasticity, where your brain actually changes in response to your environment. A third argument is the hormonal influences in the womb. Linda, maybe you were transgender because you were uh, influenced by, you had too much androgens that you were exposed to in the womb, and so it masculinized your brain, but it didn't virilize your body. That argument doesn't stand up under scrutiny either because identical twins would have the same environment in the womb. How do you explain one twin being gay or trans and the other twin not? And so what I discovered in my research, both in looking at scientific studies and what's out there, and also in investigating the stories of the subjects in my, the participants in my research, was that developmental issues play a large factor in influencing the soul of somebody, the mind, will, and emotions, where your soul is not lining up with the biological body that God gave you. There's a disconnect there for some reason. And so some of those developmental issues are things like if, a, if somebody grows up in their gender non-conforming, like a, a little boy <clears throat> is not, um, you know, not the typical man's man, masculine John Wayne type, and he's sensitive and in touch with his emotions, he's artistic, he's musical, he'd rather cook than go out in the yard and play football with dad. And little kids make fun of him, and they call him sissy and fag, and that's emotionally traumatic for that little boy. And when he starts experiencing that as a kid, that emotional trauma sticks with you, and it can affect your psychosocial development. And it can affect whether or not you believe you're a man among men or a woman among women. Or another influential, a developmental influence is um, those who grow up in families where there's some kind of a disconnect with the same-sex parent, where a little girl, for some reason, just doesn't connect emotionally with her mom the way God designed. And she's left with a deficit of same-sex love. 
And it's this primal need that every child is meant to have met in God's design in the family. But for some reason, if mom isn't there because she's sick, or there's divorce, or, or there's abuse in the home, or something happens and she's not able to connect with mom, or the little boy isn't able to connect with dad, then they grow up with the same sex love deficit that when they become a teenager, that same sex need for love becomes sexualized and mixed with their very strong and normal sexual drives, and it becomes confused in the soul, and it manifests as same-sex attractions. A third thing is sexual abuse. When a little boy is sexually abused and his body responds in a positive way, he's like, does this mean I'm gay? Why did he pick me and not the football player? Or a little girl is sexually abused and she comes to the conclusion men are not safe. If she comes to that conclusion when she's six years old and she's abused, why when she gets older would she all of a sudden think men are safe and she could be sexually vulnerable with a man? Only women would be safe in her mindset. We are body, soul, and spirit. And so all of these developmental issues that affect our soul, can affect our psychosexual development. And so what I discovered in my research interviewing these 30 people was that as they found resolution to these developmental issues in their life through redemptive relationships, through inner healing, and through deliverance, they experienced freedom from their same-sex attractions. Freedom is possible, my friends, and it's the good news of the gospel. We can experience a sanctification of the soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions being renewed and lining up with God's plan for our lives. The second lie is that if we affirm biblical sexuality, somehow we hate LGBT people. That is not true. I don't hate LGBT people. I have great empathy for them because I know what it's like to be in their shoes and to feel like you're born that way. I get that. Really, for us, the highest form of worship is to submit to God's design for gender and sexuality that points the way to the gospel, as we talked about this morning. And the worst thing we could do is bow our knee to the, the ideology and things that's going on in our culture and rob somebody of the redemptive power of the cross by reinforcing their brokenness, reinforcing the brokenness in their soul. There is freedom, there is transformation possible. And I've mentioned some of the resources um, earlier today, uh, the ReStory, if you can skip two slides. There's a, the ReStory Ministries, if you haven't gotten connected to that, we've started that to train and equip pastors and leaders like you who are dealing with these issues on a regular basis. We've got training videos, and if, if you haven't heard, there's a mailing list you can sign up for uh, and that we can help you with things there. I also recommend the Restored Hope Network and Outpost Ministries here locally. Um, I also happen to have a web, web page, lindaseiler.com. Uh, we sold out of the DVDs that I had here, but you can buy those on my website at lindaseiler.com if you're interested. It's a full-day seminar on um, even more stuff than I shared here at the conference, including one hour of my full testimony with pictures. The third lie is that Christians who affirm biblical sexuality must be canceled because you are the equivalent of the KKK. And this is where cancel culture and wokeness are even creeping into the church. And my friends, if you aren't familiar with wokenesses, wokeness is based on Marxist ideology that views any kind of inequality happening in culture as through the lens of the oppressor and the oppressed, the victim and the victimizer. And the problem with wokeness is no matter how much you repent, you can never repent enough that you're absolved from being the oppressor or the victimizer or whatever it might be. Wokeness really essentially is a false awakening. Wokeness is a human solution to spiritual depravity. 
It's, it's human fleshly attempts to make something right. But all it does is bring more division. And cancel culture that goes hand in hand with wokeness, that if you don't submit to our, our wokeness and the culture that's out there and all of that, we will essentially cancel you. Cancel culture is nothing more than secular Pharisaism. They are legalistic, and they will go back even 30 years into the past to see if you said something that doesn't fit in with woke culture. And if we find it, we will cancel you. We will ruin your reputation, right? So we are in the midst of this where our, our culture is getting darker and darker and darker. But my, good, my friends, there's good news. The darker our culture gets, the brighter the gospel shines in contrast. That is good news, my friends. It is good news. Here's the good news. Jesus will never cancel you. He cancels your sin. According to Colossians 2.14. That is super good news that the whole world needs to hear right now because everybody's on edge with cancel culture. Because it's not just Christians that are getting canceled. It's mostly you know, people like us, but there are other people who are making mistakes and they're getting canceled and they're living in fear. There's a spirit of fear infiltrating our culture and everybody's on edge. And the good news is that Jesus will not cancel you, but he does cancel our sin. So my friends, I believe that if we respond rightly as the church, as the bride of Christ, cancel culture will actually backfire and lead to the greatest revival and awakening we have ever seen on planet Earth. But there's a condition there, if, if the people of God respond the right way. Cancel culture is not new. It's new to us, it's a, a new phenomenon happening, but it's not new in the history of humanity. There's nothing new under the sun, right? You know why I know it's not new? Because I see it in the Bible. If you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, they face the ultimate in cancel culture, not just canceling their reputation, but killing them, canceling their life. That's the ultimate cancellation, right? So they were told they need to bow down to this false image, and if they don't, they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And that false image is very similar uh, to what us today. In the Bible, it doesn't say what that image was that Nebuchadnezzar set up. It just said he, he erected some kind of image and people were instructed to bow down to whatever that image was. Well, we're in that situation now, right now with our culture. There is a false image of God being perpetuated in our culture saying, you can be gay, you're born gay, or you're born trans, and it doesn't change, and it's a false image of God, and we say, no, I don't believe in that image, I believe in the image of God. Male and female, he made them in his image, and it is very good. So we're in a situation where we're having to choose, are we gonna bow down to that false image? Are we gonna cave to cancel culture and wokeness and LGBT ideology? Or are we gonna hold fast and affirm biblical sexuality? Look at the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were threatened with canceling their life. They said in Daniel 3:17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They were bold, and they said, we want you to know it. They were not hiding. They were very forthright with what they believed and their refusal to bow to the image. But look at what happened. When they refused, Nebuchadnezzar was enraged. And he ordered that that furnace be heated seven times hotter because that's what happens when you defy cancel culture. 
You come against that spirit of fear and intimidation and it enrages those through whom that spirit is working. And you will get even more resistance in return. And so they chose not to bow their knee. They feared God more than they feared man. And you know the story. God showed up in a supernatural way. They looked into that furnace and they said, wait a minute. (laughs) Weren't there four men in that furnace? I mean, first of all, it was totally supernatural that the soldiers who threw them in were, I mean, they were incinerated right there. (laughs) And that didn't happen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Instead, they see four people in the furnace, and they're like, wait, didn't we throw three in there? Why is there four? That looks like the Son of Man, right? And they're in there, they are unbound, they are not burned, and and they're, they're in the furnace totally free. And they come out of the furnace, and they don't even smell like smoke. This is absolutely supernatural. And now look at the response to this supernatural miracle that Nebuchadnezzar could not deny. Look at his response. He was going to kill them for not bowing down to his image. Now look at his response. Daniel 3, 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They defied cancel culture. They trusted God and didn't love their lives even unto death. God showed up in a supernatural way and others were impacted as a result. Others gave praise to God who were before that persecuting them and denying God. See any similarities? I was reading further in Daniel and I was struck by Daniel in the lion's den. So King Darius issues this decree and says anybody that prays to any God besides the king is gonna be thrown into the lion's den. Look at Daniel's response when he finds out the king made this decree. Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he has done, had done before. He was not a chameleon that was going to bow his knee to the fear of man, shut his windows and pray in private. I'll still follow God, but I'm not going to do it in a public way because I don't want to be thrown into the lion's den. I need God to spare me so I can still be here to spread the kingdom. No, he didn't fear for his own life. He didn't give in and be a chameleon. He didn't bow his knee like we're tempted to today regarding gay quote unquote marriage. It's not a marriage in the eyes of God. God is the one who defines marriage, not man. Marriage according to God is one man with one woman in a blood covenant relationship for life that images the relationship between God and his Jesus and and, and his bride, the church. That's marriage, according to God's definition. Why are we bowing down to it and even calling it marriage? It's not a marriage. I always put it in quotes. The other thing we're dealing with is pronoun hospitality. You know, if if somebody who thinks, a man who thinks he's a woman comes in the room and everybody wants to call Bruce Jenner Caitlin and refer to him as her, you know what? It would violate my conscience to bow down to that false image and participate in a known lie. 
Now, I'm not saying I'm going to unnecessarily offend. There are ways that if Bruce came in this room, I could say, hello, we're honored to have you here in our presence. There's a seat right here for you if you would like to sit down. I didn't have to use a name. I didn't have to use a pronoun. I can still love him as a fellow human being made in the image of God without violating my conscience. And if I'm questioned later on, hey, why don't you use his name or why don't you use the pronouns, her name and the pronouns, I can explain why. Because before God, he is made as a male in the image of God. And his chromosomes are always going to be XY. In fact, his chromosomes even image God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our sexuality images the gospel. It is sacred. And I'm not going to bow my knee and be a chameleon. And that's what Daniel did. He stood strong despite the potential of persecution. It's as if, uh, and, and what we saw is that the supernatural showed up. God shut the mouths of lions. And even more supernaturally, Daniel's accusers were actually thrown into the den and the lions ate them before they even got to the ground. Total vindication from God. King Darius then, his response, just like Nebuchadnezzar praised God, look at King Darius's response in Daniel 6, 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Such praise coming from a king. Can you imagine one of our leaders doing that here in the United States? Those that are against God now declaring that kind of praise? Can you imagine? Then I was reading in the book of Esther. And I thought about her approaching the throne of the king uninvited. She could have been killed. Haman was going to exterminate God's people. And, 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 and Esther risked her life, and God showed up in a supernatural way. Not only was her life spared, Haman was impaled on the pole that was set up for Mordecai, where he was supposed to be killed. Haman died. The, the total vindication, the accuser that was going to exterminate God's people, was executed himself. And then Haman's estate was actually given to Esther, which she then give, gave to Mordecai. Total vindication from God. Absolutely supernatural. Look at what happened as a result. Esther 8, 17. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews and be because the fear of the Jews had seized them. Supernatural deliverance and other people declaring the praises of God as a result. And then I was reminded of Acts chapter 4 in the New Testament where they faced the potential of cancel culture as well. So you have the disciples that were praying together because Peter and John had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel and healing the lame man. You can move to the next slide. And they were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, sorry, we can't help but speak about the things we've seen and heard. Can't do it. We're not gonna, would it be better to obey man or to obey God? Sorry, we can't help it. 
And so they were threatened with more uh, threats of you know, abuse and punishment and then released. And they were threatening them because the leaders said, we have to stop these people from sharing this message. We can't let it spread further. So they threatened them and it said, do not preach in this name any longer. And they released them. And it goes on in Acts chapter four. And it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They cried in self-pity and asked God to consider their threats and tell the religious leaders to stop being meanies. In fear, they opted to water down their message to make it more acceptable so as not to offend others and avoid further persecution, enabling them to reach more people with a compromised gospel. I mean, we're laughing because it's funny, but like, it makes me want to cry because I've done that. There are times I've been ashamed to speak up. There's times I fear man more than I fear God. And we need Holy Spirit boldness. We need boldness that comes from a supernatural source. What it really says in Acts 4, verse 23, so as not to blaspheme and add to the word of God, Acts 4.23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That is supernatural boldness, my friends. When we are told to be silent, when we are told we will be canceled, if we will respond the way they respond in cancel culture in biblical times and trust God with the results, not loving our lives even unto death, we will see God show up in a supernatural way. He will give us supernatural power and boldness and we will see other people give praise to God as a result. In fact, look at what happened even later in Acts chapter five. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. My pastor always told me this, Linda, what you win them with, you win them to. What you win them with, you win them to. If you water down the gospel because you're afraid of man, you will reproduce disciples who water down the gospel because they fear man. If you choose to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as the first and greatest commandment, and you don't fear man more than God, you will reproduce disciples who will stand even in the face of death. My concern today is we're watering it down and we justify it because we want to reach more people. And that's good, reaching more people, obviously, that's the ultimate goal. We want everybody to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, that's God's will. But my friends, if we water it down so we can get them in the door and we can keep them here, but we water it down to a compromised gospel, what you win them with, you win them to. So in every case that I just showed you, 
the Lord's people faced fear and death, the ultimate cancellation. And God honored their faith with signs and wonders, resulting in others praising God and fearing the Lord. And I believe this is God's call to us today. Just as much as LGBT issues really are an identity issue, people don't know who God created them to be, they don't feel like a man among men or a woman among women, and they're believing lies about their identity, just as much as there are identity issues going on there, the church is having an identity crisis. We don't know who we are, we have forgotten. We have forgotten who we are. My friends, we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. The spirit of fear that is trying to cancel you is not greater than the God of the universe. Why are we bowing our knee to people? Why are we bowing our knee to fear and intimidation that is manifesting through these demonic strongholds in our culture? Why? What are they gonna do to us? And what does that say about our gospel that we're not willing to give our lives, even our reputation for it? What does that say about the worth of Jesus? That I'm ashamed of him. What does that say? What does that communicate? Why would anybody wanna follow a gospel and a, a God like that? It doesn't seem to be very valuable because you're not willing to give much for it. But you know what? God doesn't need people to like us in order to save them. I'm not saying we shouldn't be compassionate and build bridges and love people and be relevant and all of that. I'm not saying that. But what you win them with, you win them too. We need to demonstrate compassion without compromising the truth. And we need to realize the power of saving people is not in your ability to build relationships and make people like you. If you like me, you'll like my message of Jesus. That's not the power. Do you know where the power is? Romans 1.17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The power is in the gospel. It is in God. It is in transformed lives. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power lies, my friends. And we are not battling flesh and blood. We have to recognize how do we overcome the enemy? How do we overcome these demonic strongholds in our culture? Revelation 12, 11 gives us a glimpse. How do we triumph over the enemy? They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. My friends, we need to be preaching the power of the blood, the blood of the lamb to rescue you, to redeem you, to set you free. Jesus doesn't cancel you, but he does cancel your sins because of his blood. There's nothing more powerful and valuable than the blood of Jesus to save our souls. We need to get back to preaching the blood of Jesus to save you. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Where are the transformed lives that we can share God has, every single one of us in this room has a testimony of how Jesus has transformed us. We are not who we used to be. Let's not be ashamed of that. Let's tell people how God has transformed our lives. And let's not love our lives so much as to shrink back from death. That's the key. You know, we say we'll give our lives for the gospel. I say that, you know, I want that to be true. If it came down to that and my life were on the line, but you know what? 
Sometimes we're not even willing to die to our own reputation. I, I don't want people to not like me. I, I hate it when I post something on social media and then I get all these, you know, haters and, you know, haters gonna hate kind of thing, but like, it's painful. <laughs> I don't like that, I want to be liked. But Jesus is looking for a church that will stand up and count the cost and not love her life even unto death. And so my friends, cancel culture is intimidating, but you need to understand this, it's extremely fragile. It's intimidating, but it's extremely fragile. And here's why it's fragile. The premise of cancel culture is this. If you can't refute the truth, then the only other option is to silence the truth so that it doesn't spread any further. And that's what's going on right now. I shared with you some of the lies going on in our culture, and one of them is, well, you're born gay and you can't change. Think about how illogical these lies are. When you, you partner, the born that way can't change if you're gay, but if you're transgender, your biological sex is subject to change. And that's where the enemy has overplayed his hand. Because same-sex attractions are somewhat abstract. abstract. If I tell you I'm same-sex attracted, well, I mean, you don't know that except that I told you. There's no way to verify that. But if I tell you I'm transgender and I show up as David dressed as a man, it, I mean, it's a very tangible reality that I'm, I'm pretending to be something that my physical body that God gave me is, is not. Something is not aligning, right? And so there is something really illogical going on in our culture. It doesn't make any sense. But as I shared in an earlier session, don't look for logic. When you see illogical things like that happening, that is a surefire proof that a demonic stronghold is on operation because you cannot defy the God of truth and operate in logic. So when you see those illogical things happen, you know for sure that's the thumbprint of the enemy. You are witnessing a demonic stronghold in action. I want to close with this. I in my quiet time this morning, I was, I'm reading through the book of Luke right now. I'm reading Luke-Acts together. It was, it was written, Luke wrote both of those, and it was meant to be read really as one piece, even though it's divided up in our Bibles. And in the book of Luke, Jesus gives all of these warnings of, you know, here's what's, what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to be persecuted and killed, and you're going to experience persecution too, and so here's how you need to handle that. And so the book of Acts actually fulfills all of those warnings that Jesus gave and they lived out those commands what Jesus said to do in the book of Acts. When you, when you stand before kings and authorities, don't fear because at that time my Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to speak. They stood, Peter and John, stop healing in the name of Jesus. Sorry, we can't help but see, preach about the things we've seen and heard. So they're applying what they learned in, in what we read in the book of Luke. But anyway, I was reading in Luke chapter 12 this morning and I thought, you know, this is really pertinent to the message today. I think I'm gonna share it. And I really feel like this is a word directly from Jesus to us right now, his bride. This is, th these are actually the words of Jesus in scripture. And I want you to hear this as if Jesus were standing here right now and saying this to us. This is Jesus. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. 
but whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be counted as one of whom Jesus is not ashamed. I want to stand boldly and declare his gospel and not fear my reputation being canceled or my life being snuffed out. Let's face it, the day you came to Jesus, that's the day we died. Our life is not our own anymore. We were bought with a price, the most precious price in the universe, the blood of Jesus. But we're in a crisis right now as a church and we're gonna have to decide, are we gonna bow our knee to culture? Or are we gonna bow our knee to the King of Kings? And are we gonna tell this world that he is worthy even of death, even of a maligned reputation? He's worthy of it all. So the good news of this is that the darker it gets, the brighter the gospel shines in contrast. Jesus will not cancel you. He cancels your sin. It's good news. And my friends, that is a message that is worth dying for so that others can live. Amen.